Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I'm Ashlyn Keenan, and this is Private Education. Hello, private education listeners. Hello, guys. How are we? Hope we're all well. Hope you're all well. Um, So we have a really, really cool interview this week for private education. We have an interview with the author and journalist, Daisy Buchanan, who the more literary among us might recognise that name as the lead female character from The Great Gatsby. But that's not who we're talking to. We are not bringing back the spirit of um, someone from The Great Gatsby. (laughs) This is the author, Daisy Buchanan, from the UK. She has written a book. The reason I had her on to the podcast was to interview her about her book, Insatiable. And the book, for anyone who hasn't read it or hasn't heard of it, is very raunchy. A sexy book. It's very sexy. It is very sexy. So, sorry. Hello, Andrea. Hi. Andrea's here. You haven't... Have you read the book? Not yet. No, yeah. I'll lend it to you. Thank my, you. My copy is uh, well-thumbed, as they say. Careful. <laughs> <laughs> no, I want to. <laughs> <laughs> None of the pages are stuck together. It's not that kind of book. Okay. But it is very sexy. And you know the way when you're younger, or maybe, well, maybe not when you're younger, maybe all the time, you are like reading a sexy book. You know, with sex scenes every yeah. f- every few chapters or whatever. And you like bait through the chapters to get to the saucy bits. Yes. Right. You don't need to do that with her book. Sauce it's everywhere. all sauce. Oh, Christ. it's literally, it's wall to wall sauce. Delicious. <laughs> <laughs> not for you. You hate sauce. You hate literal sauce, not metaphorical sauce. I'm warming up to both. <laughs> I always liked one. The other one wants a top. Hey, I'm into it. <laughs> so much to unpack there in terms of puns pre-interview I'm going to play that interview for you um, in a while and Andrea wasn't there that day but I interviewed her and I have to apologise actually in advance for the audio quality because it's not the best we did the interview over the uh, online obviously because um, she's in the UK I'm here yeah but before that I wanted to break some news some sex related news some you know on brand news for the pod to Andrea and to all you guys so I was I got a press release uh, recently enough a few weeks ago which told me and I like shocked my core about this that I suppose the headline on the press release was there are finally condoms authorised for anal sex I am I like I just don't understand so previously it, well this is I mean this is in the in the US this is the FDA so the Food and Drug Administration in the U- US but there ha- up until the year of our Lord 2022 there hasn't been a condom that's authorised for anal sex. Now, obviously, they've been used. Like, they've yeah. been, it's been, obviously, you know, come on. They've, they, they, safe sex. Everyone's using yeah. like, condoms for anal. You know, the, the queer community flat out on the condoms for anal because you have to protect yourself. They haven't been, like, they, it's, not, it's not to say that they haven't been used. They have, of course, they haven't been authorised. They haven't been approved for safe 
effective use for anal sex until this year. Just recently. Well, I just want to say, lads, there's a lot of things that have come out of the pandemic. And isn't this one of the best ones? I think so. I mean, I don't know if this was pandemic related specifically. No, but, but I just I'm mean delighted. over the last two years, maybe the research has ramped up because people have been locked in. This is it. And it's uh, like, it says, oh, the condom, as an aside, the, the anal sex condom that's authorized is also okay for vaginal sex, which is good. Ideal. Why are they all? Okay, question I don't now. know why they, they should aren't. all now be yeah, they vaginal really and anally approved. I think so. Just stop making the old ones and just make all the new ones. I, I don't know why, but I just assumed that they were. But like what, you know what I mean? I just always assumed a condom's a condom's a condom, no matter what hole you put it in. Is that the lubricant issue potentially? Not an issue, but the challenge. But I mean, lots of people use lube in their vag. I know, but you'd probably, I don't know. That was just the first thing that popped into my head in terms yeah, of Yeah, maybe it is a lubrication. A lubrication? Lubrication. Lubrication. <laughs> a lubrication issue. Or like the, <clears throat> it could be like a friction issue. But I'm like, just going, but, I'm but literally going assumed, down this whole scientifically. I just assumed. Hey. <laughs> Sorry, I'm full of puns you're, you're going through a scientific hole. Yeah. I just assumed that every condom would be fine for anal. I, I just don't know just, why it wouldn't be in this day and age. This is it. I don't understand. Anyway, that's beside the point. They say now that this new condom has a failure rate of less than 1% when used for anal sex, which is brilliant. Oh, do you know, it, maybe it's because condoms primarily were used to prevent pregnancy rather than to prevent STDs. But STIs. like everyone tells you to have sex, safe sex and prevent STIs, use a condom. Yeah, but maybe the initially when condoms were, you know, coming out, I don't know, whatever, being released, I don't know. Maybe the, the thing was, well, these will protect you, <laughs> protect you against pregnancy. But you know what I mean? These, yeah. will, these will ensure you don't get pregnant to 98% accuracy or whatever. And they didn't test them for any other purpose. Yeah, they didn't. Oh, it's, the new version is now available for sale in 60 sizes. Hang on. So, <laughs> 60? 60. Oh, and it also says lubricant is key to successful condom use. If anyone can hear that screaming in the background, that is my infant child who is downstairs trying to ruin this <laughs> recording. <laughs> about she's, condoms. she's just downstairs going, <laughs> like... Seriously, does she not? I have to have a job. Come on. Now, oh, another thing before we get on to the lovely Daisy interview. um, I got another press release. I get, you see, given that I'm the presenter of a sex podcast, I get some press releases of that ilk. And I got one uh, about sex positions from, it's from psychicworld.com, which the most reliable of places, I would imagine. It's where I got all my news. <laughs> it's where I get a, yeah, it's where I stay on top of current affairs. Yeah. I, you know, find out what's what's going to happen in my life next week. Um, no, but they, they do actually send some quite interesting uh, press releases and they have given um, the two best sexual positions for each star sign. So you are going to need your phone for this, Andrea, because I'm going to make you Google some, you're Aries, am I correct? Correct. Right. And I am Aquarius. Correct. Your ones are called because I, I genuinely haven't a clue what posi- what these positions mean. I just don't. Ever, I never thought my browser history could get any more weird, but here we are. Here we are. My browser history is chronic, and do you know when I used to write the sex column in a new magazine, my computer was absolutely riddled with all sorts of terrifying Google searches. Yeah, but. It, I could I could explain everything away by being like, well, I'm a sex columnist. Up until this point, I could explain things away. This is this is crossing a line, but here we are. Listen, but no, it's public. So it's you public. Can just be like, you can just be like, I take part in a podcast that's about sex. Yeah. What's your problem? You know? Google. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, so yours, your two sex positions for your star mm-hmm. sign are, oh, it says, I'll, I'll read your thing, will I? With a powerful personality and boundless energy, you are a tireless and spontaneous lover. Oh, <laughs> I, I added the lover part myself. Excellent. Dynamic games and role play are a must for you, allowing you to show off your seductive charm in a way that will have your partners coming back for more. Wowza. I mean, I'm very impressed if Who you're not. She? Now. Tell me. They're called the splitting bamboo. Oh, this sounds uncomfortable. Let's right. The splitting bamboo is apparently a twist on the classic missionary. Sorry, imagine. Sorry, I'm just trying to picture here. Imagine you've been like, hey, boyfriend, um, want to do the splitting bamboo tonight? He'd be like, are you having a some kind of brain? Oh, okay. Do you have you have you got a visual here? Yeah. Describe. So it's missionary with one leg up in the air. <laughs> just just up in the air. Yeah, hang on. Just like flailing. Whose leg is up in the air? I'm going to show you. Hang on. All right. No, we you have to explain to the reader. Listener. Yeah, no, I'm going to show you and then ah, you okay. can say. So in this position, we are looking at a heterosexual uh, couple. So the woman is on her back with her kind of her, el- like she's lying flat on her back with her elbows kind of propping her up a bit. And the man is straddling her with one of her legs over his shoulder. Oh, it's up in the air. Yeah. So she's making an L shape with her legs. Yeah. That, I mean, there'd be a certain degree of flexibility required for that. Yeah. Wouldn't there be? <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I'm looking at this one that they use. You know those models where you do oh, life the, drawings? The, with, the, model, like, the life drawing models, yeah. Yeah. No, that sounds like actual people. You know, the, the no, figures? No, the figures, the little wooden guys. The little wooden yeah, guys. Yeah. They're a great idea for this kind of thing. Uh, the other thing is, the other position, I should say, for mm-hmm. your star sign mm-hmm. is the joystick joyride. Joystick? Did, did you hear my stomach reacting joy to that? Ride. It went... I don't know. Oh. So. I've gotten a warning. It's an ex- Some of these results might be explicit. <laughs> that's all right. It's an exciting take on girl on top, apparently. Hang on. Hey, have you got a, have you got a visual? I have a visual. I have a visual. So yeah, girl on top, legs over. So of a, heterose- a heterosexual couple. Sorry. Uh, girl on top, legs over shoulder. Let me have a look. Holy mother of... Ah, okay. So it's, 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 what do they call that cow, cowgirl? Is that what they call that? Well, it's reverse cowgirl. Yeah, it's, re- it's cowgirl. No, it's cowgirl. Not, because reverse cowgirl, you're it's looking away way from your person. Yeah. And cowgirl, you're looking at them. Yeah. But instead of having your legs either side of their hips, in this one, you have your legs over their shoulders, as in or, your calves are hitting their shoulder blades the front of their shoulder blades or uh, or they're not they're not shoulder blades shoulder blades are at the back your sh- their shoulders their chest the, your calves are on their chest and your feet are beside their ears that's correct. the best way to yeah. that's the best way um, I'm going to look at mine okay but I'm going to need you to do the googling alright I'm an Aquarius people for anyone wondering okay the my one is called the corkscrew I'm a, apparently I'm a creative and innovative thinker and a unique and experimental lover um, I don't know. I, I, I could definitely say I'm creative and innovative. Take pat on the back there for yourself. I love that. The corkscrew. Oh, it's giving. <laughs> is it giving you pictures cork of corkscrews? Mm, yeah. Hang on. And, and then the other one is called the good X. Oh. Yeah. The corkscrew sex. That's what I've just Googled. So what we're looking at here is heterosexual couple, woman lying at the side of the bed. On at the side. edge of the bed with yep. her bum facing the edge of the bed. And the man is going in. He's standing at the edge of the bed. The logistics of this are mind-boggling because 
no bed is at perfect standing height. Maybe I know some it's kind of draped. plinth. Oh but yeah, maybe imagine, maybe it's imagine like, a, like I'll just get my plinth and yeah. we can uh, <laughs> we can we can do the corkscrew. We can corkscrew. Do um, you fancy a corkscrew tonight? I'll just get out my massage table, like or massage table, or maybe it's a table and you just throw an L cover over it. Oh, I'm sorry. Like I'm too long in the tooth to be throwing a towel over my dining table and doing a corkscrew. Like the <laughs> sorry now, but seriously, never mind. Like. The pe- like the angle, the pain, like uh, ow, that would hurt. I need like I need soft surfaces. I need soft lighting. You know what I mean? Things yeah. need to be okay. Fair point. And also, my dining table is not going to stand up to that. It's not. It's going to break, and I'm going to go back down to Michael Murphy and demand a refund. <laughs> and they're going to say, Ashling, what were you doing with your dining table? And I'm going to say, Well, business. Michael Murphy, I was doing a course. Do you like wine? <laughs> <laughs> and then what's the other one? The good X. It's called. Yeah. Oh my god, there's one here called The Princess and the Peen. <laughs> <laughs> That's well pretty done. good. That is pretty good. Good job, guys. Yeah. So all I can find is a description. So sit on the bed, face each other with legs forward. Right. Lift your partner's right leg over your left and lift your right leg over his left. Come together so he can enter you. Now both of you lie back. Your legs forming an X. I'm 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 all, I've already lost track. Yeah. So basically I think what you do is you lock legs like death grip wise and then like <laughs> that's what I want from the right yeah. is a death grip and then grip. like thrust forward so you're both lying back so you're lying on your back you're both lying on your back but you start by like right leg over right leg over left left leg over right oh I'm after so I'm looking at a picture of it here it's basically scissoring <clears throat> I don't mean to be bad but that's not as exciting not that it's not exciting but that's that's just scissoring for with a dick involved Make it hotter. Reach out and hold hands to pull together for pelvic thrusting. Sorry. <laughs> if you're holding hands, like they don't get, we aren't Olympians. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you have the core strength of an Olympian sorry, to do that. I, like I'm not yeah. training for the bobsled. Like <laughs> how do you expect my core to hold up to that sort of action? Jesus Christ. Our guest today is author Daisy Buchanan, whose book Insatiable is described as a love story for greedy girls. Welcome, Daisy. Thank you so much for coming on to Private Education. It's um, my pleasure. I'm so happy to be here. So excited. I was just saying to you before we started to record that I raced through Insatiable and I really did. And the reason I was going to say is because I don't know if you're, you're probably not like me, but when I was younger, some, you know, early twenties, I was reading like Louise Bagshaw and Tasmina Perry and actually Tilly Bagshaw as well and those kind of books they were peppered with sex scenes and I would I would be racing through them because I would be in a rush to get to the sex scene (laughs) but with your book I didn't have to do that um so a love story for greedy girls that description what what did you mean by that I mean I suppose something that was perhaps in you know much more of a draft and much more of a draft much more of an early draft in the first version is um I wanted to write about women and appetite and desire and in so many areas you know sometimes sex often for me food as well it's like I feel like I'm never allowed to just let myself go and have as much as I want. And I don't know how much I want. And I'm really, really scared of my own appetite still. There's a bit of me that's like, well, if I just, you know, let myself go, then who knows where it's all going to lead. And so, you know, I guess what inspired the book is I wanted to create this sort of imaginary world and, you know, play as a writer and think, well, you know, what would happen if, um, (laughs) 
you've got a heroin, it gets all the sex you can eat. Because, you know, just like you, oh my God, um, Louise Bagshaw, uh, politically problematic now, but yes. sparkles are loved. And there's not career girls are loved. And there, there's another one as well, which I think is about a writer in Hollywood. And I loved it because I felt quite. I've always, you know, felt sort of, you know, plump and anxious and awkward and out of place, not quite glossy enough. And the heroine of um, this book is the same. And she's a, a writer and gets sent to Hollywood where she's horribly out of place and then finds a place for herself. But anyway, I suppose as a writer, I was greedy for the sex scenes and I wanted more. So I wrote as many as I dared. But also it's really about Violet but after you know, years of growing up and trying to do the right thing and denying herself what she wants and ignoring her appetites just doing whatever she likes and feeling kind of you know she's very nihilistic she doesn't really feel like she matters anymore and she stopped caring and the book I hope it's much more hopeful than that but you know she does she does a lot of stupid things as you know because you've read it and there's a, a sense of well you know what does it matter what do I matter she doesn't really think of herself as a person although she dreams of a future and she mm-hmm. dreams of being a grown-up and of sort of you know landing in the right place in the short term she sort of can't see it um and I've been you know that person in my 20s I mm-hmm. sadly I I don't think, um, certainly outside um, long-term relationships, I didn't have as giddy a time as Violet. I don't think I had my, you know, marriage aside, which I will not go into. I'm very happy married. <laughs> I don't think I had any sex um, as good as the sex that Violet has, but that's the fun of a book. This is it. And I, to be honest, I don't think anyone, I mean, I would love to meet the person who has as much fun and as much sex as Violet has, because it's, it's, like it's relentless. I that's what I thought when I was reading it. I was so enjoying it, but it was just relentless in the best way. And I remember actually the the first one where I thought, okay, there has to be a break coming up soon. Was um the first time when she's with Simon the first time, and I remember just thinking after that, I actually thought to myself, I think I need a break. I think I need to put the book down for a couple. Of hours. <laughs> <laughs> um. So I have to ask because. I am, yes, I host a podcast about sex and relationships, but I'm also a journalist and I I write a lot. And I have always thought, you know, naively, I'm sure, and with absolutely no basis that I might do okay if I was to write about sex. But I've always found myself really self-aware and self-conscious and bordering on embarrassed when writing it. And it, it takes a lot to embarrass me. So did you feel that when you were writing Insatiable? And how did how did you get past that? Oh, Lord, I really, really did. And I remember it so vividly. And I'd gone um, to this lovely place in France, and I'd gone on a writing retreat, and I was supposed to be writing a different book. I wrote a book, a non-fiction book called The Sisterhood, and it's all about sort of my relationship with my little sisters. I've got five of them, and, you know, the way that women, you know, interact with each other and sort of forge relationships in general. And I was kind of waiting for my sisters to say like yes you can write a book about us which they were amazing about they were very very you know (laughs) they were into it but it really just kind of began as like a creative writing experiment and I often thought oh you know I'd love to write a filthy book maybe I do it under a different name and do and I think as well because so I am not here to yuck on anyone's yum I know that Fifty Shades of Grey was an absolute publishing phenomenon. Um, you know, I dream of having the success that E.L. James has had. And while, you know, it's not for me, but it was for like, tens of millions of people. And I think it's really easy to dismiss that and dismiss anything that is, you know, commercial and popular and beloved by women, by women, by women, and has made, um, you know, its creator 
you know, very sort of wealthy and successful woman. But I suppose that was, I was, you know, really writing very, very selfishly. I was writing what, you know, what could turn me on and something that I always did when I was a kid, um, soon as sort of the hormones hit, I didn't really, I mean, I'm a, I'm old, I'm almost 37 and I grew up with broadband internet. So no, sorry, not the the dialogue. I didn't have ready, easy access to porn. And what I do when I fantasized was I would, if I read a book with anything like a little bit sexy in it, like um, Emma and Frank Churchill, and there's this reference to him making love to Emma in like their, you know, coach home and making love obviously then meant, you know, maybe he put his hand on her hand and they could feel each other through two pairs of gloves. And, like, <laughs> and I was like, no, 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 no. I'm going to, you know, elaborate here for oh. my own intents and purposes. I can imagine something steamy. I've seen Titanic. I know what I would like to have gone down between them. Um, and yeah, I mean, Jilly Cooper a huge, huge, huge influence on me. I think Marion Keys is a brilliant and deft, um, not an underrated writer. I think, you know, she's um, had her um, been on, uh, God, was it Imagine or Arena, the one with the end job? Imagine, um, yeah, it was BBC's Imagine, yeah, yes, it was. Yeah. Brilliant. But I, I think she's a really, really sexy writer and she doesn't quite, I could always do it a bit more. Um, she is, unlike me, I think very sparing and very deliberate and the sex is never gratuitous, but oh, she does it well. But, you know, that was all I needed, just sort of a page or half a page or a reference. And I'd be, I think as well, because I grew up in a very strict Catholic family and sex was something that was associated with a lot of shame and fear and anxiety. And it was so sort of secret and mysterious. And I've just found it fascinating and you know, quite quickly as well. I thought, oh, my imagination's actually probably quite a lot dirtier and darker than, you know, the reality. When you have almost no facts and you've got to sort of fill in the blanks and read between the lines, you come up with all sorts of stuff. And then when you see what the thing actually was that was so exciting and mysterious, like I wasn't allowed to watch Neighbours. And in my head, <laughs> Neighbours was just like, you know, sexy, filthy, like Australian, it's an orgy with a barbecue. And then when I finally did see Neighbours, I love Neighbours very much, but I was quite disappointed. Yeah, I, th- I I grew up in a Catholic household and went to Catholic school too. And I think for me anyway, books, books were seen as innocent to mm. my parents and to my teachers. And, you know, so if you were reading, it was kind of universally looked on as as a as a virtuous thing. And, and how could there possibly be, you know, like really dirty sex scenes in books. Books were fine. So I think that's probably, I I know for myself, I learned a lot of what I know about sex and relationships now from those books. Um, You mentioned a couple of authors that you you enjoyed. Was there any like breakthrough book for you that you were like, I I like this type of fiction. This is what I want to do. Oh, that is a really good question. Um, for me, it was Adored by Tilly Bagshaw, just uh, to, to fit it in. That was, a, that was the one. I mean, I read loads, but that one I was like, oh, I love this. This is, this is what I want to read. I'm definitely going to have to go away and reread that because I do remember um, some of those Louise Bagshaw ones um, and Tall Poppies. But yeah, I'm gonna, that's my, my plan for um, the evening. I do remember having a moment. It wasn't a sexy book, but I will never forget. I think I was 15 or 16 and I got a copy of The Secret Dream World of a Shopaholic for my birthday. And it begins, I think, with the words like, okay, don't panic, don't panic. And it's her looking at her visa bill. 
And even though I was a teenager and I didn't have a credit card, you know, I had a part-time job and I spent all my money on stuff I shouldn't spend my money on. Um, I mean, just, you know, at the time it was, um, or I should have gone straight to Topshop. Um, but I had a real, I'd fallen out of love with reading and literature. And I was, you know, at school, I was always good at English, but I didn't really love a lot of the stuff we had to read. And we were in an endless, endless Thomas Hardy loop. And I just felt giddy and thought, oh, you're allowed to write this. You're allowed to be funny. You're allowed to be like, and I'd read loads of funny books. Like I love Nancy Mitford and I love P.G. Woodhouse. And, you know, Jane Austen could be really, really funny. But someone being funny and being contemporary, it really felt like I'd been struck by lightning in the best possible way. And I think Rachel's Holiday as well is the other one that just grounded me. And I reread that every year. And every time I learn something new from it, every time I'm struck by how smart it is. And again, it's it's deft. Mm-hmm. And that amazing sort of the spiritual and emotional changes that Rachel undergoes. And that she's, I think, the best of unreliable narrators because she is in denial about just how unreliable she is and sort of the layers she goes through. And yes. you know, any and all the books as well, where sex isn't sort of they're all books where women are, have all of the feelings and emotions and they're turned on and they're anxious and they're trying to predict what happens next and then sometimes letting themselves be lost in the moment and sometimes not and I mean I love really really love Jackie Collins I think those books are oh, wonderful yes. and they're so much fun and I've you know been to all those but as far as I remember like, oh my I mean the stud is so much fun and like Fontaine and shacking in the lift and but there's not a whole lot of tenderness and vulnerability in there you see it sometimes and glimpses of it but the sex is quite hard mm-hmm. and it's all a bit kind you know you just imagine everyone you know rolling around in the bed and something like oh my diamonds are really digging into me <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what I I think that's what I particularly enjoyed about Insatiable was that you know, in, in books like in Jackie Collins and even to an extent in like Tasmina Perry and and the Bagshaws, like I I I rarely felt like I could put myself in those situations, particularly Jackie Collins. Like it was all a bit pie in the sky, that's never gonna happen to you. But with Insatiable, I kind of felt like I could have been Violet. Like I felt, you know, I could imagine myself in that scene, which is why it was so enjoyable. And I think like uh she was just she just felt very real to me. Whereas sometimes, and you know, sometimes what you want is the escapism of a character that you could never be. Um, But sometimes you want to be able to see yourself reflected. Did you, was that a conscious decision by you to write her that way? Oh, it was. I think so. And I love, you know, escapism so much. And I think that's why we read. And I really, really hope that, you know, as I say, there's hope in the book and there are jokes in my book, whether or not they're funny is <laughs> not for me to say. But I think that's the other thing as well. It's something I'm kind of struggling with at the moment that I think is maybe missing from contemporary literature. Oh. Everything seems quite dark and quite serious. And for me, that the jokes are what makes anything human. It's having that warmth because I'm not saying that all books should be like they're rolling around the aisles clutching their sides cracking wise that's why I love Julie Cooper so much is you know it's sex and puns which is Mm. that felt really really real to me that you'd say stupid things even during sex and you think stupid things and that I think and hope what saves us is we have to go around 
looking for the funny because what else are you are you going to do? Um, and I have to ask, did you record your own audiobook? <laughs> because oh. if you did, how, like, I was blushing reading the sex scenes. So how how reading them out loud must have felt. Did you do that or did, did you have, did you farm that out somewhere? I wish. No, I emphatically don't wish. I'm very glad I was spared that. It was narrated by Charlie Clive, who's a really fantastic actor. Charlie was in um, that show Pure, which is about OCD and intrusive thoughts and very kind of intense, messy sexual thoughts. Um, and she did such a fantastic job. I think she's also narrated the audiobook um how to Kill Your Family by Bella Mackey. And yeah, I think it's re- it's a lovely thing about fiction where actors do it for you. Um, and actors are great. So, but I did, um, on publication day, I had to do a reading on Woman's Hour and they made me do two. We, we pre-recorded. And one had the word pussy in. And I wasn't sure which one they were going to use. And at the time, it was sort of in the pandemic. And um, my sister was in a bubble with my parents and I was not really wanting my family to hear what was going on. I hadn't told them about being a woman's hour and doing this reading. And so I said to my sister, do, do mum and dad, they often have like Radio 4 on in the background at home. Do you think, um, <laughs> are you sure you're, like, you're in the kitchen and like maybe a phone call or just like keep the radio off between 10 and 11? <laughs> it was really, really, they didn't use the, um, I don't think I had to say pussy, I think I said nipple. But I was feeling overexcited on publication day. So I did a little uh, Instagram reading of the of the rude bit. And um, that, was, that was enough for me. <laughs> I'd say it was. And I'd say, I mean, because it, it, it is, it's difficult. And it's almost like, it all, it's almost like watching porn in public or, you know, watching porn while your parents are in the next room and the door is open. It's so, there's something really uncomfortable about even reading those books to yourself. So say them out loud. I can't imagine. I'm very glad that an actor did the the entirety of the book for you. And on that, do you ever, do you ever feel worried that your parents or friends or your sisters or, you know, anyone that would read the book would, I not judge is the wrong word, not judgment, but you know, would they, would they assume that you're an incredibly kinky person by nature or do they do do they you know have you ever had a reaction from a from someone close to you where you're like oh that's awkward I don't want you to read that well I mean I have a theory they say where they are um and I've met crime writers and all the crime writers I know are lovely sweet charming generous good-natured people the theory is their books are so you know nasty and if you're writing about horrible murders all day long all the evil comes out of you and you're nothing but nice and I wonder if it's the same with sexy books <laughs> all of my sexiness out of me and I've neutered myself <laughs> that's a really good theory and I think that's one that, I mean spread that to your friends and relatives whether it's tr- true or not like I definitely think you should tell them that don't worry um, everybody no sex here it's fine it's all zero stages I sort of don't really I mean, I'm really really lucky that my friends and family have been so kind and so supportive and I'm kind of stunned and my parents have not read it at my request um okay. and they have found a way to be really sweet and lovely and proud like oh she's done a book without any kind of you know too much going into detail um I mean, weirdly 
not that you know I'm glad it happened, but I sort of think the panic, the pandemic helped. So um, I've got a big uh, family birthday party in a couple of weeks, and that's going to be the first time I've seen a lot of my extended family since. And I'm hoping we're just not going to talk about it and sort of skip along from it. Um, yeah, just it. A bit of, well done on the book, mm. and now I'm going. I'm yeah. going off to get a drink. <laughs> and I mean, I think so many of my friends are writers as well, and I, you know, feel like I've given them an out. Like you don't have to read it. It's very rude. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I suppose it's hoping that um I mean I'm also I'm really very surprised and pleased and moved and a bit shocked by how many people I know who have really enjoyed it and have really enjoyed the read bits and it's not been like so let's have a you know let's have a big chat about threesomes but <laughs> yeah I think they've, they've taken it in the spirit it, it was written which was you know a sort of fantasy and mm. and fun and- have you found then that because I, I sometimes find that uh, in in the past I've written a sex column and I at the time remember a lot of my friends coming to me about sex things and issues and problems they were having and you know all that kind of thing. Do you find now that your friends come to you and think that you are you know the person the expert because you have written this type of book? I mean, honestly, if when you read sort of what Violet does and the endless mistakes she makes I'm not sure they <laughs> oh, will know what to do <laughs> do, you, do you think that they think that you're some kind of oracle that you know because you can write sex so so well and so believably and so realistically that you you must know things you must have knowledge that they don't know about well actually I used to work at a bliss magazine it was my first job it's a ah. mag and there was lots of like sex ed content um uh-huh. that came up then and I've been um an agony art for Grazia I was dear Daisy for a spell so uh-huh. I think maybe there's always been a bit of yes yeah questioning and chat and an uh-huh. assumption that I sort of I know thing. I mean, honestly, I'm, I've not been single for a really long time. I'm in a very sort of monogamous, very, very monogamous, you are very monogamous relationship. So I don't know that I've got many kind of you know, practical real world tips that are useful to anyone. But I think, I mean, something I'm really interested in, in general, that I'd love to come back to and write about one day is, I suppose, you know, long-term love and passion and connection. Um, I've been fascinated the couples counseling show social episodes on bbc what's just called couples therapy but and i suppose that's why there's so much advice and i don't know if you found this when you were writing the set column everything sort of is, is aimed at beginnings there's a real focus on oh if you're single and you're yes. either yeah yeah in search of the one or you're having a wild old you know fun freaky free-for-all and there is no sort of in between and Sex is kind of easy when someone's new and you're not yet fully invested in each other and you can, you know, do what you like and sort of throw yourself into it and you don't feel as judged. I think that when when you really like someone and you really love someone, if there was a, oh, let's try this new thing, they'd be like, who have you been talking to? Or worse. <laughs> what <have you laughs> heard about the new thing? I think that long-term love is so fascinating to me and I don't know why yeah. I talk about that more. I, I do. And I agree. There, it, it, I suppose when you're with someone new sexually, like that's almost half the battle. The newness mm. almost, almost does a lot of the work for you. Yeah. you know? Whereas I agree in, in a long term relationship, it's, it's much more challenging. But also I, th- I think it has potential to be much better as well. Do you think so? I, I remember being on holiday in Croatia when I was, 
I think I was 24 maybe. And I was sitting by the pool and looking around myself at what everyone was reading um, because I'm nothing if not incredibly nosy. And I was looking at everyone's book covers and it was 50 Shades, 50 Shades, 50 Shades, 50 Shades. Every woman at that pool was reading 50 Shades. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. And there was one woman actually who was reading it behind her magazine. So she obviously, I don't know who she thought was looking at her, <laughs> obviously, but she, she obviously felt that little bit of, um, you know, a bit of kind of embarrassment around the fact that she was enjoying that book. You know, as a writer, I can kind of say it's probably not the, the most well-written book I've ever read. But I think it did reveal an appetite for erotic fiction that I didn't know existed before. Do you think that that has helped kind of pave the way for, you know, even for just conversations around more sex in fiction? Um, And do you think that kind of, in a way, Fifty Shades kind of opened the door for publishers to accept books like yours, maybe? Well, that's a really good question. And I think certainly, you know, me and you talking now, I'm sure, you know, I, was, I remember like being really, really struck by that, the huge runaway success that when a book becomes, you know, not a book, when it becomes sort of a, a phenomenon. Like um, At the time, I was doing freelance shifts on an entertainment website and we were writing stories about things E.L. James did as though she was, you know, Harry Styles or um, Cheryl Cole. And I was like, this is something else, isn't it? This has sort of gone beyond. Um, and then as well, going to like, at the time, you know, I'd go to anything. I still would go to anything, to be honest. But um, doing a sort of fantasy, for, I went to like a spanking workshop at Coco de Mer, like a goodie bag, because, you know, it's like Fifty Shades, hey. Eh? And yet, when Insatiable went out on submission, um, people were quite, you know, shocked and horrified. And there was a bit of a, oh, you know, no, we don't want it to be like, not like Fifty Shades. And because my sort of elevator pitch was, um, not mine to be honest um, one of my friends read a very early version and her label was Fifty Shades meets Sally Rooney and I loved it I was hugely flattered I thought it was a lovely compliment I thought what's not to like tell that to the publishers and there was a real st- reaction to I mean, I mean I think what lots of people said as well was we just wouldn't know how to publish it um, I love my publisher's sphere I think they have shown with these people exactly how to publish it and yeah, yeah. I, mean, I get it as well I re- it really mattered to me to do something I wasn't seeing something I wasn't reading something I wanted to read that I didn't think at the time existed of course it went from me having that idea and writing you know my filth and then 
In the meantime, um, Three Women got published, um, Luster got published, you know, both fantastic books I adore. And there seemed to be this sort of moment, this wider, sparky conversation about exciting, explicit books. So, and that was also after, um, I think we'd sold Insatiable by then. So publishing weirdly sort of caught up with itself. But it's not, I do think it's funny how, you um, you know, I host a books podcast called Your Book, where I interview authors about their bookshelves. I've, you know, lots of my friends are writers. I've written nonfiction before. I'm very absorptive. I'm not in it, but I'm on the fringes of it. And Mm. I do think that it's more more reactive than responsive or more there are a lot I see lots of trends being followed rather than set and do you do you think there's still even with your book and even with luster and those kind of ones do you think there is still a bit of a snobbery in publishing or in the world about erotic fiction so that what's the book I really want to read it and I've not read it yet uh the author is called robin I can google it um it's the harry styles fanfic one um, the idea of you, I think. Oh yeah, Which, yeah, I've heard of it. Yeah, um, I've had lots of people who really, 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 really loved it, um, and I, I think it's shifting. I think some people, or you know, in some places, there is definitely still a snobbery. I think there's been a shift now that I love, where women are, you know, perhaps talking much more loudly about what what they want and what they want in terms of, I suppose you know, art and entertainment, as well as talking about what they want in a, in a sexual sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I don't think that snobbery is ever completely going to go away. I think that as soon as people stop, when people are like completely chill about sex, you know, the way we imagine everyone else in like Southern Europe is like, yes, I'm a confident and relaxed sex. <laughs> I don't know if, you know, that's ever really true. Um, and you know, and I kind of I, I love I don't love the the snobbery. It's complicated. It's complicated in that I want everything to be available to everyone. I don't want anyone to feel shame. I want people to love what they love. It goes back to the Catholic thing. I don't believe in guilty pleasures per se, but I sort of do because as a Catholic woman, all my pleasures are guilty. Be it a gangbang or a Lindor ball, guilty all the way. Um, but yeah, I think for me. But you know that's sort of the illicit. But I like I like the, the frisson of you know, do, and it's a complicated thing, isn't it? Because it's like the privilege of mm. being able to be sneaky. In the same, in a similar way that I suppose you, it could be looked at that like affairs, they're the fact that they're clandestine, the fact that they're t- not allowed, and it's all you know that that adds something in a, in a weird way. Um, <gasps> Have you seen this show, Cheetahs? It's on iPlayer, um, and it's like 10-minute episodes, and it's this beautiful comedy drama, and it's about infidelity. But everyone is so likable. It's so gorgeously written and gorgeously acted. And um, that, the sort of the, the drama and the comedy of an affair, and it's so well done because you don't know what you want as a viewer. I'm, I don't know. I, I want everyone to be together. And I want no one to be together. And this is breaking my brain, but it's brilliant. <laughs> and that's the thing though, isn't it? When, you know, when you're watching something and there is a, an affair and there's, you know, I don't know, a woman who's, you know, seeing somebody and she shouldn't be seeing or whatever. You do have a bit of cognitive dissonance where you're like, well, she shouldn't be doing that. And I know she shouldn't, but also I really want mm. her to do it. <laughs> 
Oh, a brilliant book I absolutely adore that I just reread. Um, I've got a terrible head cold and I always reread favourite things when I've got a bad cold. Um, Standard Deviation by Catherine Heine. And it's so deft and gorgeous. And there's so much sex in that book. And it's not explicit. It's like the old line rather than the odd scene. But that's about long-term love and it's about infidelity and what you get hung up on and what you choose to ignore. And it's just about lots of other things as well about humans and how we connect with each other and how we function but Hmm. yeah and that's another sort of instance of even though you don't want it to happen you're sort of excited for these people and it's an incredible you know skill I think god if I could write like Catherine Heine um I'm sure I'm sure there are um, plenty of authors reading Insatiable Lincoln I wish I could write like Daisy Buchanan um is it true that you you might know this more than I would know is it true that publishers make like a, a huge amount of money from romantic books or you know fiction about you know romance and things that 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 kind of I don't know like opens up their bank book for the literary fiction and for the you know more serious quote in quotation marks books that they might be publishing because I, I I mean I anecdotally would think that that is completely true but you might know better than I do. I mean, as far as I'm aware, I see there are some brilliant brilliant romantic authors who I love who I think. Are- just wonderful. Um, I'm a huge fan of Jill Mansell. I'm a huge fan of Lindsay Kelk, um, Varun McFarlane, um, Veronica Henry. This, like, those four names I listed, probably between them sold five million books, ten million books, I don't know, like, loads. And that they're just, you know, the tip of the iceberg. They are megastars and mega sellers. And yeah, you know, they don't get the love, they don't get the coverage. I hope to goodness they get the advances because, you know, they are kind of keeping the ship afloat. And, you know, I find it really weird as well that there's, there is a sort of a respect for crime. I have a respect for crime, for sure. And, you know, the plotting of it and the intricacy of it, it's, you know, really, really brilliantly done. But there's a kind of crossover where a crime writer can sort of be in the literary crowd or, like, nudge their way over. I mean, like Ian Rankin, who is, you know, the most incredible, talented, brilliant person, he is respected I think, mm-hmm. in a way that may be a environment following or a dual mentalism. And that seems mad to me because that these books, really so, you know, they have, again, like a lot like Fifty Shades, I think, where you've got loyal, devoted, dedicated readers and so many of them. Um, I mean, I think I've been really, really lucky with this book because tiny things like, you know, it came out in hardback first. Um, you know, it got, and that means it sort of changes the way you're perceived, the way you're reviewed, the way, I mean, um, Becky Guyatt's beautiful cover, which I love so much. And it's sort of a shame because I was thinking when you talked about the woman reading behind her magazine and like, oh, wouldn't it be lovely if people read Insatiable around the pool and would they hide the cover? But I, I want that cover to be visible because I got so lucky and Becky's so brilliant. Um, but yeah, I, I think even if it's published five years ago, it might have been... Um, like, cause I was, when I was like waiting for the cover, because it's something that authors have next to no control over. And, you know, if I had strong feelings and shared them, I'm sure, um, Steer would listen and be receptive, but that's never a given. And I was like, oh, oh, what if it's like a confused cartoon lady chasing after a hat? <laughs> yeah. Or a woman sitting on a beach looking at the sunset. <laughs> And do you know what? Like, I really do think, I, I, uh, in fact, I love the cover. And um, for anyone who is listening that hasn't um, hasn't read Insatiable or hasn't seen the cover, 
there is a piece of fruit. There's an, I think it's an orange. Is it a grapefruit or, or an orange? One of it's those. It's an orange. I think. It's an orange. Um, and this, it matches the beautiful orange cover. I should have known. And there is a hand piercing the center of the orange, which I mean, I don't have to describe it much further for you to know exactly what that's um, indicative of. Um, I, I do love the cover. Thing happened last year where mm. um, on Instagram a woman got in touch. Um, I feel dreadful because I can't remember her name. She's like, that's my hand. And um, I think her friend was a photographer and she was sort of stepped in to be like a hand model. for. The oh group. my God. That is so brilliant that she got in touch. <laughs> and like, it's, it probably was just like one of those pictures that's taken and they don't, you know, the, the, the subject doesn't know that they're ever going to be used, mm. you know, on, a, on the cover of a book. That's amazing. I also wanted to ask, do you feel in general, so as, as an author, do you feel that women, when women write fiction, um, there's like an assumption, it's a really weird backwards assumption that a woman has to have mined her own personal life and that she couldn't, you know, for her fiction. You know, the way when, when someone writes a book in it and it's a man, they, you know, where, where did you get your inspiration from? When it's a woman, there's some weird thing where it's like, well, she obviously took inspiration she obviously mined her own life for this have you had that reaction at all to um insatiable to be honest I've been really really lucky and there has been like a tiny tiny bit of it um I was really braced for more of it I suppose Mm. um and it's complicated isn't it because you know we're both journalists um I think increasingly you know unless we're sort of war correspondents our lives come up in our work and we get sort of they get woven in and I've always written fairly personal stuff partly because I you know I think for me it's often like a confidence issue yeah you know being worried about sort of like have I always got my facts right and I'm like well if it, if it happened to me then yes I know I've got my facts right yeah. and I think I always want to write with I suppose emotional truth and the fun of writing for me is to take a situation I would never be in and think, well, how would this feel? And what would a person do? And it's not even often what I would do now because I probably, I try not to get myself in that mess. But um, I think I've always thought that writing is a tiny bit like acting and it really depends on what, like, you know, if you're Dracula, you're probably not using Stanislavski's Lasky's emotion memory. Maybe. Um, <laughs> You know, I, did, I didn't get very far. I really would have loved to have acted, and I'm a terrible performer. Absolutely no good. Um, but that sort of, you know, I suppose I, I want everything I write to have an emotional truth and feel real. So, but I think there's it's complicated, isn't it, with the mining? And like the writing is the most important thing as a reader and a writer. And someone yeah. can have written a, you know, if you like, don't, this isn't an actual real thing, but like, say you were sort of raised by wolves in a rainforest and sort of came and wrote about that. And beat for beat, it could almost be like a sort of a shot for shot remake of your life. But if the, the writing, if it's sort of external and like, and then the wolf came and then a tree fell on my head. Like, I don't really want to read that. I want to know how it felt. Yes. Yeah. I totally understand. And I, I think I, 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 the reason I ask is because a friend of mine writes fiction and she, she often has friends of hers say to her, is, is, is that character me? Is that, did you, did you base that character on me? Have you, has, has anyone approached you and said, oh my God, I can see myself in that character? Any, any concerned friends been like, is that, do you, 
do you think me like do you think I do that or not so much in insatiable I think in my next book careering which has sex in it but um it's out in a couple of weeks and it's set in the world of publishing and magazines and so you know that the point when I worked in magazines when it's clear that there was <laughs> no money and everything was going wrong um there are lots of um, stories and experiences. And, I mean, everything's very sort of blended. So there's no detail um, that's sort of specific to any one person. Possibly apart from the fact that um, Harry, who's one of my main characters, she's not really based on Angeli, my old editor at Bliss, but um, they're both, um, I think, possibly broadly of the same generation. And they both went to Manchester University I think I mean I sort of now I say that I'm like did I go to Manchester but Harry did and they both loved Depeche Mode okay <laughs> so your your former editor might say hmm maybe that is me but, you know, but she is like the, one of the two main characters so I hope she's pleased I hope she sees it as a oh yeah I would I would definitely take it as a compliment um Daisy, I'm, thank you so much for coming on to speak to me. That was so enjoyable. And I honestly, when when I saw that your new book, which is called Careering, by the way, um, when I saw that it was about the magazine industry and the kind of decline of the magazine industry and like as a former magazine editor, I honestly thought, is Daisy writing books specifically for me? And how can I thank her? So well, take this as, actually, as a- that's it. When you asked about, you know, who am I basing these books on? It's you. I've, um, I've had my spies out. I've been following you around for some time. So I need, when is it out and can we pre-order or what's the situation? Oh, as please it do. I'm not sure when this is going out, but it makes me so happy. Um, it's available um, on 10th of March. Waterstones have exclusive signed copies, as do, mm-hmm. I think, some other UK bookshops. It's going to be out in America in August with a... Um, different but excellent cover um and yeah it's really I just I've written it for everyone who thinks who's ever thought I love my job why doesn't my job love me back um (laughs) in my my first graduate job um I was fired from and that was deeply shaming um when I was 30 I got my dream magazine job and I um was so miserable that I quit and I wrote about it and people have asked me that's the thing about actually um no one's like how do I have good sex? I wish they did. But people ask me all the time, should I quit my job? And I have dedicated this book to everyone who's ever asked me if they should quit their job. That's what it says on the dedication page. I love that. And I also, as 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 someone who has worked in magazines, I can tell you that the amount of times that journalists want to quit their jobs, I mean, it's it's a lot. It's it's actually a bit grim, to be honest. Um, Daisy, I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you again so much. Thank you, Ashling. I've had such a lovely conversation. Really enjoyed talking to you. So that was lovely. It was really nice to chat to Daisy. She was a very good interview. And actually, what a stunning voice for a podcast. Beautiful. Beautiful voice. Mm-hmm. I kind of wish I had had the chance to record in person, not because I want to stalk her, but because she does have such a beautiful voice. And the audio, if it had been it could have been like beautiful, crisp. You know, mm. she sounds like she could record ads. If you wrote a sexy book, I asked Daisy this, if you wrote a sex book, how would you feel if your parents read it? I, th- like, I, th- I, I just, don't know. I just think, like even the thoughts of my parents listening to the, listening to po- to the podcast. Yeah, and I was making like, me comfortable thinking creep- about it. Yeah, yeah, it creeps me out. N- not that it creeps me out, but it just, in the same way, the last thing you want in the world is to have any knowledge of your parents' sexual activities. 
they should have no they should have no knowledge of in your business yeah it's just a happy understanding that should exist i feel i think so and i think what daisy said was her parents just chose not to read the book yeah but like did they you know like did they say they didn't and then they actually they did did? Mm. i hope not uncomfortable like and I know a lot of people are open and honest and you know discuss these kind of things there are, yeah there are some families that would be totally fine with that but I don't think mine would be I just don't I, it makes me uncomfortable like I'm 34 years old and I'm still not allowed to curse in front of my dad yeah and sometimes I curse in front of your dad and I get in trouble you do <laughs> She does, listeners, she does. Because sometimes I think I'd be very good at writing erotic fiction. And in fact... You practically have. I mean, in the pa- in the very distant past, Andre was... God, no, no, I'm not going to say you were struggling because you weren't struggling, but you wanted to... I wanted to go from like a two to like an eight on a... <laughs> on the flirt scale and yeah, on yeah, the yeah, on the yeah. kind of saw scale. And it just wasn't going that way. With a guy. So she was me- she was messaging this guy <clears> and she was like, you, they were like having lovely chats and it was all lovely. And lovely, respectful. Lovely. And respectful. Listen. But she wanted to kick it up a notch. I just wanted to test the waters and see if there was anything other than respect there. Yeah. You wanted to see if there was any flame s- flame and sauce and a bit of a bit of banter, a bit of flirty banter. A bit, a bit of, of banter, yeah. You know? And so I intervened. I did. And I took her phone and I composed some gentle filth. And I gave it to Andrea, obviously, for approval, and then yeah. she sent it to the to the guy. But I did comp- I did compose a series of um I was your ghostwriter. Yeah. You know, for, mm-hmm. for that particular conversation. Mm-hmm. And it it wouldn't yeah, that's uh, that's something that I that's a service I'm willing to provide if anyone if anyone oh, needs she's good. Me. I was good. I was good. It went to an eight. <laughs> it went well. You got the right. Mm-hmm. It ended it ended really well. And it, you know, here we are. I um, hope you enjoyed that interview with Daisy and our um, corkscrew discussion and how the logistics of some sex positions might involve a trip to Michael Murphy for a refund for a dining table. Yeah. Until next week, stay safe. Have, have fun. fun. Oh, wait, I didn't do the thing where I said, oh, yeah, hang on. Hold the phone. Hi, guys, we're back. Give us a minute. Follow us on Instagram at Private Education Podcast. Give us a review. Yeah. Give Follow us, us on whatever platform that you listen to your podcasts on. Exactly. Whether that's Acast. Apple, Acast, Spotify, any of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you wanted to give us a review anywhere. Love that. Love that. Give it, throw a few stars our way. Preferably five. <laughs> Wouldn't fight you for four, but. <laughs> <laughs> we will fight you for three. <laughs> if you give us three stars, you're in big trouble. Yeah. No, joke. We'll take any number of stars. Um, a star, like a star is a star. We're taking the star. You know what I mean? Yeah. Even if it's a one star. Listen. You thought one fifth of what you heard was decent. Yeah, but slide it up to five. I mean, you know, no pressure. And then, yes, now we can say until next week, stay safe. Have fun. Goodbye. Bye. See you later. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.